Welcome to Counter Stories, a show by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, Counter Stories producer and VP of programming at Ampers. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, Associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And we are continuing our education series today with a very special guest, and I'll have her introduce herself. Hello, everyone. My name is Ka Yang. I work as the Associate Vice President for Inclusive Excellence at the University of St. Thomas. It, we have campuses in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Welcome to the show, Ka. Um, so we have been talking about education. We've talked a lot with, uh, we've talked to a high school principal and a middle school principal. And I wanted to be sure that we touched a little bit on um, higher education. I know Don has experience working in higher ed um, and you were um, newly assigned to this role just, just a few years ago, correct? That is correct. I um, just had a three-year anniversary this past July. Awesome. What was it that brought you to this position? Because you were doing something, you and I have known each other for a while, and you were doing something very different before. Um, it, I, you know, I have lots of hobbies, Lee. And so when you and I met, that was a side hobby job that I was doing on, <laughs> um, on, you know, short films and bringing narratives to light that are absent in mainstream society. And so that aligns with my work. Um, I've been in the social justice field for over two decades and I've had the privilege of, um, um, you know, uh, doing DEI through the lens of enforcement as well as creating a culture inclusion. Great. And this position, um, inclusive excellence. Well, let me see what, yeah, the Office for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, I'm a St. Thomas grad. Uh, yes, so I know that. That's wonderful. Way, way back in the day, and there, I don't even know if there was if there was this office. I didn't know about it. Um, and so I was excited to hear that you were going to be there and working in this position. So what does this position mean? Like, what does it do? Sure. So you are correct. Um, I, I know that, that you were here a while ago, and this position, this office is an inaugural office and in an inaugural role. It was created three years ago um, as the university continued to assess and how they can um, better amplify and advance DEI on campus. And, and, and through community engagement and dialogues, this office came about. And so I was hired as the associate vice president to lead this. And back to your question earlier about what led me to St. Thomas. Um, I had been doing social justice work for the past two decades. You know, um, you know, I, I worked in human rights, civil rights, equal opportunity and access, affirmative action, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was ready for um, a change where I can take all of these um, um, different roles that I've, I've held in social justice and to make impact. And I'm a St. Paulite. <laughs> I'm not originally from Minnesota. I grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, but I've lived in, in St. Paul for, for, you know, most of my life. And you know, St. Thomas is in the heart of St. Paul and Minneapolis. 
There's a lot of opportunities for impact. And so when I read through the job description and I read through the um, mission, I'm very missions driven. And so when I read through the mission of advancing the common good, it really resonated with me as a Hmong refugee um, and, um, uh, you know, creating that society where everyone has the opportunity to thrive. And so when I met with the president, it honed in that she was 110% um, committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that was the determining factor that I had the opportunity to come to the largest uh, private institution in Minnesota and to um, effect change and work with individuals here. So, Kai, I want to jump in. So I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, there were a couple of uh, disturbing racial incidents that had happened on campus, I think prior to the creation of your position. Um, I too have slight ties to St. Thomas. I, I actually ended up going to McAllister College way before either one of you two were probably born. Um, but St. Thomas was one of the, uh, was the other school that showed interest in me. They actually brought me on campus back in 1972, um, uh, hoping that I would come to St. Thomas to play football. Uh, but I ended up going to McAllister. But little little history there. But I do remember that there were some highly charged incidents that happened on St. Thomas's campus where I think white students um, either wrote or left derogatory messages on some black students, either their, their uh, dorm room doors or, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't remember exactly. What, I just remember thinking at the time that, that uh, it, it was sad because St. Thomas hasn't changed. <laughs> that was my thought. Um, and so I think that since that time, they, they have been making efforts to uh, change the climate on that campus, not only with students, but I think with fa faculty. Um, and so I'm really excited to have you to, to, for you to join us and um, to have this discussion, because I think it, you know, for a person like myself, I think that it may change my mind about St. Thomas. Um, my daughter was recently, my daughter was attending University of Iowa, but St. Thomas was one of the colleges and universities she was considering at the time. And I actually kind of dissuaded her from even going to campus to check it out because of, uh, because of what had happened there. And, um, and so I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation to see how and in effect it has changed on that is that i mean that's a lot but but uh <laughs> i'm hoping that we can talk about that thank yeah thank you don and in fact um the office of diverse equity and inclusion and my position was one of um, the results of that incident that you had referenced and so um, that happened about three and a half years ago. And, um, you know, you described it that there was a, a note um, that had racial epithet and the entire university closed down. Over 5,000 individuals, including the mayor, attended a listening session. School was canceled and um, um, it was to process through what had happened. 
to be in community with each other and to dialogue, now what? We know that these, these incidents happened. You know, what is that next step to make that change? And so that's when um, um, my office then was created and I was uh, put into to, to fill the role. And I will say that to your point of, you know, what has happened since. So I've been at the university now for three years. And, um, you know, a lot of many individuals will ask me, uh, when will this stop? And I'm going to be blunt and honest that it's never going to stop. Even when all of us are gone, racism is still going to exist. Um, you know, we are also um, um, engaging with 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 um, students who come from rural areas that may never have had the opportunity to engage with anyone that is different from them. And when they get on campus, they don't know what to do with that type of experience. And so, you know, the university can put out policies, we can put out procedures, we can put out expectations, but it is really hard to change the hearts and minds of individuals and how they have lived and, and grew up in the past 17, 18 years. And then you drop them into a, a environment that, that is more diverse than what they're used to. And so when people ask me, when is this going to stop? I'm going to be honest that it's not going to stop. How do you undo someone's learning and their behaviors and their trends of 17 to 18 years or, or more um, through the dialogues and the expectations that we put forth. Now, with that said, I will have to say that um, the commitment that the university puts forth is essential in helping to process and helping to support and, and cope through that pro- the, the racial incidents. I mean, St. Thomas is not the only campus where this is happening. You know, higher education in general, we are not immune to this. If you Google racial incidents and university, St. Thomas will not be the only one that pops up. And that's a really sad reality. And that's part of the reasons why I came to St. Thomas. I knew, I read those articles. I knew that a racial incident had happened. I, I you know, I, I saw that as also an opportunity for me to inject myself into a situation in an environment where I can try to effect change. That's where I need it most, is where the incidents are happening and not hide in an institution or in the comfort of my own world where we're not dealing with this. And so I came to St. Thomas knowing that there are going to be challenges. We are a very homogenous institution, predominantly white. And, um, you know, um, change is hard for everyone. And so in the, in the three years that I've been at St. Thomas, my philosophy in diversity, equity, and inclusion is that, um, you know, we can, um, you know, we can work towards changing systems, changing policies and practices. I conducted human rights and investigation, human rights and civil rights investigations for a decade. We enforced the human rights acts. We enforced equal employment opportunity laws. And, you know, through that experience, You know, we can have as many policies and procedures as possible, but if we cannot change the hearts and minds of individuals who are within that society, then change is slow to come. And so at St. Thomas, what I'm trying to inject here is um, the opportunity to um, um, carry out DNI from both lenses. We need to put intention into dissecting, disaggregating our data and understanding the policies and practices that we put into place, who is not at t- the table, who is absent, what narratives are absent, who is, um, you know, um, 
um, you know, you know, progressing? And what are some of those barriers that are keeping some, some communities from achieving? And so, um, that's one aspect of what we're trying to do at St. Thomas is through those policies and procedures. But at the same time, I'm also trying to eject a really big push on meeting individuals where they are at. I believe in collective power um, toward transformation. And so if individuals cannot see themselves in this journey, uh, if we don't meet individuals where they are at, right? Because uh, many times folks in, who are in the DEI space, we go out and we're talking about anti-racism, we're talking about white privilege, and we're talking about white supremacy. And, and all of that is are topics that we need to address. But at the same time, when you are in a very homogenous um, institution, we have to be able to meet individuals where they are at without shaming and blaming and to find opportunities for these individuals to explore and to grow so that we can start to create relationships and build that community so that we can start to see each other as humans to change the individual and the culture as well as the systems. And so that's um, you know, what we are committed to at St. Thomas. And, um, it's a long journey. It doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight, but we've made some really good strides in spreading the accountability across the university and making sure that we provide a variety of different platforms to loop in individuals into this journey so that not only a few individuals, not only that the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion or Kayang or a few units are driving DEI, but that this is something that is a shared value across the university. So, Kai, let me follow up on that because uh, I um, I appreciate you focusing on the systems and the policies and the infrastructure of the organization of the enterprise at St. Thomas. I also appreciate you talking about having uh, shared ownership in terms of the student body. Where I'm coming from in my question here is, you know, when you said it's a primarily white institution, uh, and to clarify, would that be both uh, faculty and students? Is that correct? Uh, all constituents, faculty, students, right. and staff. Okay. Yeah. That, yep, that, was, staff. that would be my understanding as well. So with that understanding, then, I want to just hear from you about what are the proactive steps that you're engaged in and the institution, because it's not a, a one-person show by any means, to make sure that this awareness is, in uh, in fact, embedded into the university's um protocols and student body and all the stakeholders, the, the faculty and, and everyone from, you know, central services. So you think about IT and finance and HR and all those other uh, verticals that you would expect to see at any organization. What are you doing? What is the institution doing proactively in terms of having, making sure that, that certain standards are being uh, promulgated on a regular basis, right? So when you have incoming student body, um, much to your example of folks who are coming from uh, rural areas that may not have experience interacting with someone who is of a different race or ethnicity than their own, uh, but also existing students and existing faculty and existing um, employees. What I'm getting to is being proactive about it, right? And in my mind, sure, the there's there's a level about having folks own it, but what are you doing to make them own it is my question, right? That's where I'm getting to. Um, what kind of trainings, what kind of, of outreach 
that's, and I would say mandatory, right? Not, not elective, particularly with incoming and existing students. And then uh, the second part of that question is what are the, what are the accountability measures that you are holding folks to? Because I agree with you. It won't anti-blackness and anti, um, well, any, any kind of discriminatory type of, uh, pejorative, uh, behavior that, that, that we're seeing across these institutions. It won't stop overnight. I, I, I grant you that. I agree with you, but there's still the accountability part of it that is as important for us and society, right? So that these, these acts of, uh, and I would say they're terroristic, right? Because they, they create terroristic, um, feelings and, an environment, unsafe environment for the rest of the students to be in. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. Great question. And that is, that is at the heart of DEI. You know, whether you have performative or transformative. Performative is doing programming for the sake of programming, right? You don't know how that's impacting behaviors, um, how that's impacting culture. And, and, um, transformative is having sustaining strategies in place and holding people accountable and setting clear expectations and a vision to move toward that culture that is embedded into the very fabric of your institution where it's like breathing. And so we are not there. Um, I don't think a lot of institutions are there, but to your point of accountability, um, it's twofold, right? So the, the first fold is the student. Um, we have an office for, um, um, uh, at the university that is uh, Student Diversity and Inclusion Services under Student Affairs. And they work closely with students around diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. To your point of the requirement for, for any incoming students that, that are, um, <coughs> any incoming students, they are required to go through, um, a, an online training. And online training is ineffective if you don't have dialogues afterwards. And so we require that individuals watch in online training for shared understanding and shared language of what DEI means. And then when they come on campus, they are broken into subgroups and they have dialogues with a facilitator, a staff on campus about what they watch. And, and, and this um, provides the opportunity for, for individuals to self-reflect and to be in community and dialogue around DEI. So that's a requirement for all first time, first year students. Um, um, you know, when it comes to the um, uh, faculty and staff, right? Cause it's a holistic approach. I mean, students are in classrooms and, and if, if we are not working closely with, with faculty and, um, to provide them the support um, and the, that, that, that they need in order to create inclusive classrooms, we can have these expectations of DEI, but then when they go into the classroom, they're, you know, the, the, the include, the inclusive classroom experience is not there. And so, um, to your point of accountability, uh, we develop a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategic plan a year ago, and we rolled that out. That serves as a guideline for the university on um, how we do DNI at St. Thomas? What are some of the key um, values, key themes? Um, we uh, conducted a um, um, an audit of our DNI infrastructure. We put out a climate survey to um, all of our constituents, and we sent it out to 
um, you know, over 12,000 constituents. We had a 32% participation rate on that. Um, we held facilitated um, circles. We met with different groups, different individuals on campus through an inclusive process to develop this DNI plan. And that included students, faculty, staff, and administrators. After a long process of dialogues to inform this plan, we identified five key strategic themes. And these themes were very intentional to um, uh, prioritize and embed diversity, equity, inclusion, um, communication, and infrastructure as the blueprint of how we are going to do DEI. Because it's easy to count the people. But if you don't have it on paper and if you don't prioritize it, the diversity and inclusion tends to get lost. And so this DEI strategic plan um, outlines all three components of DEI. And then um, what we did after we rolled it out is that the leadership, the president's cabinet, um, you know, we we had a meeting. I presented the DEI plan and the strategy and injecting and implement injecting accountability and implementing this DEI plan. And so um, I'm happy to share that that we have this university wide plan that sets sort of the tone of the expectation as a roadmap. And then these respective schools, we have eight schools, many large units they designate a liaison. So their leadership designates a liaison to their respective areas that works directly with me. And we met, meet regularly as a group. I meet with them individually. And these respective areas then develop their own DEI plan to help move forward these five key strategic plans that we've identified as a university. And so this spreads out the accountability, this spreads out the work and the leadership in the space. And today, you know, we have, um, you know, we have 15 unit DNI plans. And when I when I re reference DNI plans, I'm not talking about just some ideas. You know, we really flush through them. They are working documents. They highlight the five key strategic themes. They highlight what are the priorities that each area would advance forward. And so, if we're looking at inclusion, for example, for um, for staff. You know, what are some of those action steps that they'd like to put into place um, to carry forward? Who is assigned to um, own that specific um, priority? What is the budget? What is the time frame? And then all of this information then is shared within our, our um, collective group of, of what I call DNI ambassadors. And we find opportunities to... Um, um, engage to share best practices, to share inclusive practices, challenges. Uh, the metrics are there. You know, we, we measure them. And, and the hope is that, um, you know, and, 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 you know, this is just three years in the making. The DNI plan just rolled out a little over a year ago. And so we're hoping to be able to now more strategically track that all of these initiatives that we are doing, are they culminating into, um, um, impactful change? What are the stories that we can tell on the tail end? And so um, so that's the accountability that that we have put into place. And, and I, I report directly to the interim president. I sit on senior staff. I have access to the leadership on campus. And I try to update them on the progress and to hold you know each other accountable in the space. I, I really hope folks, you know, I, I, I love how you're laying, laying it out because oftentimes, 
You know, and many of us have been <laughs> have encountered that where a person of color is put into a position um, of of leading DE and I, but with no power, no budget, no no you know as as kind of just a addressing piece and a response. And I want to call out um, University of Saint Thomas because I was there for one the the sit in work um, and the sit in that happened in response to to that effort being being spray painted on that student's door, but also uh, subsequent panels that were walking with students throughout that. While the operational work was being done, while you know the position was created to to um, to actually give power and be and 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 be part of the of, of the senior leadership, I mean that's huge, and and I think you can see as you look at at some of Saint uh, Thomas's initiatives. One, you got uh, Dr. Uhuru Williams, uh, who's just you know, a community asset in the space who can who can who can let you know some real history. I mean, if you get a chance to hear hear him talk, you know, he he gonna he gonna light you on light you up. But but uh what I like about it is that you you see multiple levels going. You said a holistic approach earlier. And I think that 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 comes together to to put a flag in the ground in a way that some universities, quite frankly, have been too scared to do. If you go and you look at some of the initiatives, I've loved that that that, that you you put a uh, stake in the ground around. Look, we won't be an anti-racist campus, and we're not going to shy away from saying that we're going to work counter to the effects of, of systemic racism, especially during a time when folks are trying to marshal talking points to get folks to be scared of that, as if that's somehow going to dismantle. Their own, their identity, and things like that, and for a predominantly white campus to be able to be that unapologetic about that, I, I think is an important piece, you know, because because folks will point at you, folks will, will pick at you, you know, for whatever reason, because your whole program's not together when they talk to you, and and you all, I've seen you take the approach over time to be like, yep, all right, we'll we'll stay in dialogue there while we continue moving. You're not going to shake this uh this trajectory that we're on, but come on, let's keep talking. And I, and I, that approach, I think, is a is a long term thinking one. Um, and and I, I I love that that comes together. And so one of my one of my questions for you is as you walk with students who are trying to to understand this, um, as you walk with students who may be coming to you never having been in interactions with folks who are different than themselves and you've got to meet them where they are, what has been the response from students and staff as these things have been rolling out, like on the on the on the on the ground kind of feeling level of it? Because I know you've got multiple levels to work through. I would say that um um, and, and I will also throw out there that what I love about St. Thomas is that I'm not the only person that is driving diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. We do have um, student affairs, and there is an office dedicated to working with students to support and to program, and it's called Student Diversity and Inclusion Services. And so I may Don't. not have the best answer because they have a lot of great programming um, but but based on my own experience and collaborating with them is that, you know, for many of, all of our white students, I think it's the engagement piece. They just have not had the opportunity to engage with individuals that are different from them. And so I'll give a ca- classic example that there was a um, event on campus and we were dialoguing around, um, you know, uh, racial tension, you know, things that are happening in, in, in society and the racial, racial incidents that have happened at St. Thomas. And, you know, we had a, a white student who was very brave, who stood up and said, you know, I didn't know that racism existed until I 
came to St. Thomas and started engaging in race dialogues. And so I think that it's the exposure, the curiosity, and the willingness to go out to meet people that are different from you. And then I would say for our BIPOC student, you know, with the civil unrest of the murder of George Floyd and so many of our, you know, black and brown brothers and sisters, I mean, that comes back into our community and, and we are, are, you know, um, you know, working to also strengthen our relationships between public safety and as well as our um, BIPOC students on campus, because whatever is happening in society is permeating and it's, it's it, it, you know, we're not immune to that. And so we're, um, um, you know, working to um, make sure that that our bias hotline is is. Um, um, communicated and that we also, um, you know, when there is a complaint that, that we are doing our due diligence and keeping parties, um, you know, involved, um, informed and there's an understanding of the process and that they feel that they are being taken care of and that they're in good hands and that the university is looking into these complaints. And so those are some of the things that, that we, you know, have been trying to improve and there's more room to improve upon that because that psychological safety is not going to happen overnight. Trust and relationship building doesn't happen overnight. We can only take it a step at a time and continue to work with our BIPOC students to show that we are here for them and that this, this, you know, intolerance and hate and racism is, um, against our values. And, and like I said before, you know, it, it I, I can't I can't not sit here and say that that St. Thomas can stop racism from happening. But we want our students to know that we, you know, do not um, that we condemn these acts and that we are here for them. Kai, when you mentioned uh, that you, you know, the institution uh, distributed a survey, administered a survey to its 12,000 employees and you had a 32 percent participation rate, that struck me. Because that's a really, really low rate. I mean, to put it in perspective, <laughs> about 3,600 students out of, or 3,600 employees, not all students, I would imagine, mm-hmm. 12, out of the 12,000 employees. Uh, that's a concern, and it should be a concern uh, with regard to accuracy, right? Whether, and I don't know what, um, you know, those, those responses were and what they tell us, and I don't know if they're available online for the, our audience to take a look at it, but uh, that in and of itself, um, is is an indicator of a, a culture that is not healthy. When you have a 32% participation rate on a survey of that nature, uh, given the experience and research and, and, and exposure that I've had in the field for over three decades, that's a concern. Uh, can you address that in, in terms of what you've done and, and what you intend to do along those lines? Yeah, great point. And I'm glad that you caught that and brought it up because I meant to elaborate on that percentage. So in, prior to coming to St. Thomas, I've helped to, um, you know, administer climate surveys and we typically get, you know, over 80% participation rate. When I came to, into higher education, I'm newer to higher education and we were about to roll out the climate survey. We talked about what is the aspirational rate that we'd like to get to. And I said 80%. And we had a uh, climate survey advisory board that consisted of students, many staff, faculty and administrators, 
And they looked at me like I was out of this world and I did not understand what that meant. And so in my research, um, and I completely agree with you that it should be alarming. Um, and, 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 and I, and I hope that we find ways to increase that. But in my research and interviewing all of these different climate surveys that are administered in higher education, the national standard for higher education climate rate per what I found in speaking to about a dozen is 20%. It's very low and it's disturbing. And even the 32% is low, but that actually sent some um, indications of hope to folks who've been in higher education for a long time. Um, you know, when we had the audit done, it was done by Halulani and Associates. And this was a external consulting firm that have helped to audit, um, um, and provide recommendations on how to create more inclusive campus across the nation. And the person what, gave the same feedback that 30% is really high for higher education. And so take it for what it is. I'm not saying that we are doing it so well, but I'd love to learn how we can increase this in higher education. I'm, um, I guess I'm most interested in learning um, how, how students of color are feeling at St. Thomas right now. I remember, you know, I, I am excited that you said there's a bias hotline. Is that right? That people could call. Um, what I experienced mostly at St. Thomas was not outright racism. It was the microaggressions that um, came from various students, um, various professors that I felt like it wasn't like an outright thing like they're saying like, oh, Asians are terrible or anything, but they would make comments, you know, like, oh, you're, you don't have an accent. That's really awesome or stuff like that. And so, you know, when I was at St. Thomas and it was a long, long time ago, there was one group for all of the people of color, um, Hispanic, African-American, Native American, Asian American, Sahana. We all fit in one conference room. And so a couple of years after I graduated, I was invited back to talk to a Hmong student group. And I was like, what is that? Like, that's insane. We used to all fit in one room, you know? And I was just one of those students who I came to campus, went to class, got my stuff done, and I left. Because it was, it was very uncomfortable. I was always the only person of color um, in my orientation. A lot of folks were saying like, oh, I'm from this city or that city is greater Minnesota cities. And, and it made me feel a little uncomfortable. Like I felt like, oh, I'm not, I'm no longer in an urban area right now. I don't feel like, like I am. And there was one guy who was like, oh, I came for a summer camp last year and I met my first black friend or I met, I met, I met my first black person. And then I came back this year and he's the second black person I've ever met because it was still just the same black guy that this guy had interactions with. And so, you know, I didn't know that if there was a student, a diverse student association or anything or department while I was there. Um, all I know is like a week before I graduated, the Kente cloth was put in my locker to wear over my gown and there was no explanation. I didn't know why I got it. <laughs> it was just in my mailbox, you know? Whoa. And so... <laughs> 
I wore it because I was like, I guess I'm supposed to wear this. And then like while I was in the crowd at graduation, I was like, huh, okay, I see now. And, you know, so it was like, I felt like I just had a lot of awkward interactions with the folks who were trying to do, you know, DEI at that time. And I hope like students who are listening, like, you know, it's those microaggressions, I think that it's nothing overt, but it's, it piles up after, you know, four years. So it's not like I can report a specific person because it's just a million of it, you know, and, and, and just like what St. How St. Thomas approaches that from what a student might experience and how that affects basically their participation. Like I didn't have any friends at St. Thomas. I think I met like three people at St. Thomas who I would consider like acquaintances, you know, cause I was like so uncomfortable. I was on campus, got my stuff done, left. I'm sorry. I'm chuckling because as, as somebody who has been airbrushed on many a campus brochure, not even having attended <laughs> you, that university that airbrushed me, which I will remain unnamed, uh, <laughs> you know, these, those, those experiences, you know, as, as you talk about the holistic piece, right? You got to start somewhere, right? And, and oftentimes in, in initiatives, especially when you get somebody who's skilled as you, you also have to, you're, you're expected to have like it all perfect right when you show up <laughs> and it's a process because you got all this baggage that's going to hit you over and over <laughs> again. So that's why mm-hmm. I was chuckling when you were talking, Lee, because whew, I got stories from the U, I got stories from Metro <laughs> State. <laughs> hey, I had a professor actually bring me sushi. Wow. Just you know, me. Out of everybody. And, and so, oh, you know, the 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 very thing that you're that you described, Hilly, is the the very reason I dissuaded my daughter from from going to St. Thomas to attend because I knew it had that kind of environment. Now, um, and because that's the environment that we as BIPOC indigenous individuals deal with day in and day out regardless of where we are, whether it's in higher education or the positions that we've had in our, in our work lives and, and, and just going about our, our, our daily lives. And, you know, I'm not trying to sound like sour grapes and uh, because, you know, every, even at Metro Metropolitan State University, which is a, that, that heralds itself as a anti-racist higher education institution has so much to learn around that. And, you know, one thing I was going to encourage, you know, and I know she's not in charge of that. And and then maybe eventually, because I heard her describe those little workshops that everybody has to attend. And, you know, how many, how many folks have gone to DEI little workshops that last about an hour or whatever, and then you have a little facilitated discussion, and it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, one thing I did, I did appreciate um, that happened at Metro while I was there, is that they instituted what they called rigor, a racial issues graduation requirement, and what that is is a class that talks about the very kind of topics that are now we have this anti-critical race theory. And while racial issues is not critical race theory, it does educate individuals about slavery, about Jim Crow, 
about genocide against American Indians, about what really happened in this country from a historical perspective. But every student that attends Metropolitan State University, before they graduate, regardless of what discipline they're in, has to take a class in that. And so all so while we had pushback from many of the different colleges, and they would tend to be the ones you would think of, like business, accounting, even nursing, I think at first was, <laughs> you know, and and so was uh, so was a uh, um Law enforcement? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and I say that because I was an ethnic studies major at Metro State. And and at first, at the beginning of this, they would just send those folks to, to ethnic yes. studies classes and we would eat them up. I mean, this is before we understood grace and meeting folks where they are. We were we were in process, but but don't insert somebody into our 300-level ethnic studies class to meet this requirement. And... and and when we've been engaging in, in, in the conversations in an intense, concentrated way for several years, and then little Johnny comes into the class and and I just we 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 I have a lot to repent for. So no, no, sorry, Don. I just, you know, so <laughs> anyway, so they did institute that requirement. So now everyone who who attends Metropolitan State University has to take that class before they can graduate. So that was one good thing because that at least they're going to get that that exposure and knowledge now there's no follow-up behind that but at least they can't say they didn't know they don't know right because they've had that class um and the student population at metro is much more diverse than the student much 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 more diverse which which however still makes it um um, a learning institution that is still struggling with the very things, not to the, you know, not to the level of like maybe St. Thomas or some other schools, because uh, Metro is mo- Metropolitan State is more of a commuter school where, you know, there's no dorms, you know, students aren't coming and staying on campus. But I'm saying all this because even at Metropolitan State, they had their own DEI VP. And the, they had their plan. They they do all these same things, but it was always in DEI. So I never saw a true commitment from all the rest of the president's board, meaning that the work I'm caused doing wonderful work, and she she talked about it, she explained it. But where does that institutional learning? And so while we put these plans in place, it still falls back to UCA in order to see because no one else has that kind of ownership unless the president, and I heard you say interim president. So that means that the person that you're working for now is not the person who hired you with the commitment. And so with every change in leadership comes a change in vision, mission, or whatever. And so to me, what I'm hearing in between all that is you're still in between a rock and a hard place. When I saw you got this job, Kat, I was so excited, you know, and because um, I'm excited about everything that you do. But I read like, <laughs> thank you, Lee. <laughs> I read like I'm excited the, about everything you do too. <laughs> I read the part where it's like, oh, this is what the position was. And I was like, huh, that is a big <laughs> Yeah. big position. That's a big, re- like, I was like, 
girl, good luck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy lift. You're not the first to say that to me. <laughs> you know, I and, can't help and, but to think coming off of both Lee and Don's comments here with regard to their past experiences at St. Thomas, I can't help to to wonder this question, which is how many BIPOC students have self-selected out from even applying to St. Thomas as a student, right? Because of the noise, because of the reputation, because of the, you know, the past experiences. Can you speak to that? And, and what is your vision or the institution's game plan for trying to circumvent that? Because then it becomes a catch 22 situation, right? If, if you are trying to deepen the uh, inclusion and diversity of not only your students, but your faculty as importantly, and you're getting folks that are self-selecting out not even wanting to be there, that's a really big liability for you from a brand perspective, from an enrollment perspective. Heck, if, if we connect the dots, you know, 20 years on the line, alumni typically are really a big part of, uh, you know, the university's uh, projection in terms of donors and donations and sustainability. You're not going to get that from BIPOC folks if if they're self-selecting out. So there's a through line here of concern, I would imagine, for this institution. Can you speak to that? Well, uh, just to jump in right quick, Liz, I think for me, um, the only reason I applied to St. Thomas was because there was a scholarship, a diversity scholarship on the line. It was it. I never would have looked at St. Thomas without that based on the uh, price of tuition alone. Um, and so I, you know, I was just like, I, my parents would never be able to afford this. I applied. I originally didn't get the scholarship. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to go somewhere that, you know, my parents can afford. Um, eventually, you know, I did get this, the scholarship and it was like a big deal because I was like, you know, it's the first per person in my family to not go to a state school. Like, that's so impressive. And like with, with refugee and immigrant families, I feel like, you know, like my cousins will go to a community college and they're like, eh, you know, but like I went to St. Thomas, like, oh, and it's like, I'm not smarter than that guy, you know, who went to a community college. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship. Yeah, so I, I you know, my comment to that is that, um, you know, St. Thomas is, um, I, when I, when I was um, reflecting upon, you know, whether I would take this role at the University of St. Thomas, I, I was reflecting upon, um, you know, whether St. Thomas is um, an institution that um, um, is inclusive or is committed to that journey. And I knew that St. Thomas has racial incidents. I knew that it's homogenous. I knew that um, it is, you know, um, the largest private um, uh, nonprofit university in Minnesota. And so it automatically puts St. Thomas on the map for everything that happens. It gets the attention, just like when I was working with the Department of Human Services, which was the largest state agency, our information seeped into the news more than any other state agency because when you are the largest, you are held to 
a different standard in a way. And so I'm not saying, and I'm not defending to say that St. Thomas doesn't have these racial incidents and issues. We have a lot of work to, 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 to be done. But I also sometimes wonder, um, you know, how we also stack up to other universities, um, you know, in this, in this field. And so I, you know, can't speak for the, the, the students in terms of the voice, in terms of, of how they are feeling, because they could say one thing to me and be feeling something else. But I will say that, um, you know, in terms of the progress that we've made in this space, you know, I, I, I've spoken to many of the, um, you know, uh, uh, at many alumni events, and I will say that, um, you know, it, it is an accurate assessment that many BIPOC alumni did not have a good experience at St. Thomas. And it was very similar to some of what Lee has shared, some of what Don has shared. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here to defend that that's not happening here. I just don't know how much of that is happening in other universities because I don't have privilege to, the, to that data. I know that there are instances where, you know, um, other diversity officers have reached out to me to say that, oh, this incident happened and we know that you've had incidents. How do we address X, Y, and Z? And we consulted. And it, it's like the same type of incident that happened at St. Thomas, but it didn't make it to the news. And so I think that some of it is that St. Thomas really, St. Thomas is homogenous. We have these issues and we're also the largest institution and we have to be a leader in, 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 really creating that inclusive um, campus community. And so, um, you know, I I will say that St. Thomas is, um, you know, a, you know, just based on what I've heard, because I've only, I've only been here for three years, and based on what I've heard from alumni, based from what I've heard from employees who graduated from St. Thomas and are working now, um, I don't know when you graduated, Lee, and I don't want to call, uh, I don't want to call you autistic mm, range, yeah. but, mm, yeah. but it sounds like that was many years ago. And it I, was, I, yes. I, 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 you know, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to define that we are doing well, but I will comfortably sit here to say that we are in a very different spot within the last five years than we were ever before. And this is what I'm hearing from Current employees from faculty who've been here for, you know, you know, 10, 15 years. I'm hearing this from alumni. Do we have work to do? Yes. You know, when I'm in the community and when I'm engaging and networking and partnering with folks, I also hear the same sentiments that, you know, there's this, um, you know, these racial incidents at St. Thomas. It's a, a racist institution. And I don't want to send my my student or I don't want to send my kids there because I've heard about all of this. And and yes, we have a long ways to go. St. Thomas is a lot more um, diversely uh, than to what you explained earlier, that all of you fit into a room, because right now we have many student affinity groups. You know, we have the LGBTQ plus group. We have the Hmong Student Association, uh, Hmong Student Union um, um and then we have the, you know, um, Asia, which is the, uh, there's so many different acronyms, but there are at least a dozen different affinity groups for, for students. We have affinity groups for faculty and staff. You know, our diversity demographics, I think that St. Thomas is, is on the right path for diversity. I would put more emphasis on equity and inclusion. 
we can get the folks here, but if we cannot create that community of belonging and that 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 community of inclusion and care, it's a revolving door. And so I I'm happy to see like I I try to you know this in this space is really 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 easy to feel deflated to feel demoralized and to have no hope. But I try to to see it as you know if we were to give up if we were to give up then no one's doing this work and 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 it is institutions like this that we have to keep building those partnerships you know to to the point earlier about let's get into good trouble together and so so you know on the diversity front i especially for students i mean i was looking at the 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 data um in preparation for this in case there were questions about what is your your percentages right now and so I just quickly reviewed some of the information and, you know, in two, in 20, in 20, let's see, in 2019, our overall, um, student, you know, um, you know, student of color population. So I'm, I'm including graduate and undergraduate, um, was at 22%. And as of today, we are at 26%. So there's good progress there within a relatively short time. Um, in 2019, for the first time, first year students, so these are incoming students, um, <clears throat> we were at 19% in 2019. And in 2022, we were at 24%. So that's a huge jump for like a two, two and a half year um, time period. Um, and so I think that, that St. Thomas has the commitment to diversify. And I want to make sure that we also hold ourselves accountable for the equity and inclusion. Right. We know that that you know, to Lee's point, you know, we are also increasing in scholarships. We are increasing in and in, in, um, providing more access to not just BIPOC students, but to, um, you know, to income in general. And this also touches white students. It touches all students. Um, we can get them here. But if we're not supporting them, then we see those transfer you know, rates. And so my hope is that we will continue to, um, you know, keep track of um, disaggregating the data so that we understand that not all BIPOC are the same. <laughs> you know, Lee and I are mom, we have different experiences from the next Asian American, you know, person. And so how do we make sure that we are keeping the data and that we are, are disaggregating to understand the different experiences and the gaps in our community and to commit to coming up with action plans and action steps and pouring resources into, um, you know, closing some of those gaps. I think my fear was like, I think there's, and I think we've all experienced this on the crew where like, oh, we want your feedback because we want to do better, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you go in and you, like Anthony or Don or Luz do a workshop of some sort, but it really was just them checking off the box saying, we did, we tried this, right? Or we did this. Um, but I know you enough, God, that I know that you won't stand for that. And that if the changes aren't made, you will be loud about it, which I totally respect. And I, and so I was like, okay, I, at least I know that, you know, if she doesn't get to the point where ch change is actually made, like, um, where the point where change is actually made, she'll make enough noise about it that we know, you know? And so there's having that confidence in you as a person of color and as you as a person who's been in community for a long time to say, okay, 
you know, God's working there on this, then maybe there is hope after all for St. Thomas. <laughs> thank, thank you, Lee. I try. I, that, that's, a, that's a big thing to, to, to live up to. Um, you know, I, my philosophy is, is really the shared accountability. You know, I, I, I can't do this alone. And so um, I, I have a community organizing background, grassroots organizing to be exact. And um, I see power in numbers. I see collective power in transforming. And so my biggest thing at St. Thomas is that even when I am gone in this position, even when OD and I is, were to be eliminated, that DEI is embedded and it's a strategic priority within the different schools and the different units. And so everyone is responsible for DEI and that we are all um, seeing our stories reflected in this so that there is buy-in and that we can collectively create that environment that, that we want to see. You know, it, it, it's at this point as, as I think about this, right? So, so we got somebody dope in a position to do some dope stuff with some power and, 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 and resource to do some of those dope things. What are some of the things that you could really use in terms of support from other folks who are in the similar positions? I know I've, I've had the benefit of being able to be a part of some of the panels with students and have some of those conversations as part of the kind of getting folks to talk to each other and getting students. Um, I, I remember being on, being on two um, and both of them had moments where students stepped up and, um, uh, just kind of owned where they were at. And, and there was that feeling of leaning into the space. And I, I remember it being an invitation from several folks loose. For some reason, I remember you being at one of them. Um, uh, but uh, there's, there was that space of folks were coming together to rally around and support. And so at this moment, at this point, what are some of the things you could use from community folks? Cause you never know who's listening. You could be like, I need, X, Y, and Z, and somebody could be like, hey, I got you. Let me reach out. So what are some of the things you could use from community? You know, I think, I mean, I was so grateful when Lee reached out for this because this is a great platform for people to get to know the current St. Thomas, right? There are a lot of different perspective experiences, and we're not perfect, but we are committed to change, and a lot of different things have changed. And so platforms like this, dialogues, invite me to your your, you know, gatherings, your events, I, you know, it, it's a great way to, um, you know, connect and to get to know each other's work. Well, as we're rounding out here, I just want to thank you so much for being our guest. And I hate to do this. And I always tell the crew this. It's like, I don't want people to think all Hmong people know each other. But then, like, we do. Oh, oh the but two of you us do. do it's a other. small <laughs> community. <laughs> and, you know, you're in the right position to be on this show. So <laughs> it's small call after all. So thank you for making the time uh, being here uh, to be here with us today. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, Counter Stories producer, and VP of Programming at Ampers. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, deputy attorney general with the state of Minnesota. Any comments or opinions that I've stated are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group, a member of the Malax Band of Ojibwe Indians. And our special guest. I'm Kai Yang, Associate Vice President for Inclusive Excellence at the University of St. Thomas. Thanks for joining us. 
This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For a full conversation, please visit counterstories.com. <laughs>